Right to be read podcast, episode number 27. Interview with fiction author Diana Kachi. You are listening to the Right to be Read podcast, and this is your host, Ani Alexander. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Right to be Read podcast, the podcast that inspires and encourages writers. Today, I have a special guest. I'm going to speak to Diana Kachi. She is the author of What Happened in Venice, the Trinity. Diana is also a licensed attorney and former adjunct professor of law. She also holds a Bachelor of Arts in English Literature. Hello, Diana, and welcome to the Right to be Read show. Hi, thank you for having me. Very excited to be here. Thank you. So let's uh, start from the very beginning. And uh, please tell listeners who was Diana before she became a writer. Okay, well, first, I need to, to make it clear that I, I always wanted to be a writer. That was I, I get I'm getting actually teary eyed thinking about it. Uh, I've been writing my entire life. I started as a very young girl writing poetry and stories. I went away to college and got a degree in English literature. And that's just what I always told people. I'm going to be a writer. I'm going to be a writer. Well, then the reality of, uh, as you know, uh, putting food on the table mm-hmm. got in the way of that journey early on. And uh, I got a job working for a magazine, but I worked in uh, in the advertising department because it's the only way I could get into the magazine. This was Boston Magazine years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just realized that uh, it was a tough road to be a freelance author, to be a magazine journalist. And, and I... And I did what a lot of artists do, both uh, visual and and written, creative. Any any creative person is. I, I became what they call a shadow artist. I went and and got another career, and the the path I chose was law, which apparently is very common for writers to do that. And uh, I became a lawyer to to make a living. And uh, to be what's ironic about the whole thing is I became a published uh, author in law school. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> I published uh, several articles about the law. One of them was uh, what they call a case comment. It's where you take a, a case that goes to the Supreme Court of your state or to the United States Supreme Court, and you do a critique of the law that was made in that case. And mine was a very important case that took place in Colorado about mineral rights and insurance, getting insurance uh, to pay for cleanups, environmental cleanups. Uh And I got published and it was published again in a mineral journal. So that was sort of a strange thing that happened. (laughs) I I couldn't get away from my love of writing. (laughs) I see. So uh, you were working as an attorney. And uh, what happened next? You you wrote uh, parallel to that? You wrote in the evenings or early mornings? Or how did you deal with your writing passion? Yes, I, I, I continued to write and I had different ideas for stories. I was always attracted to mystery. And uh, that's the genre I read a lot of. And I also am very uh, fascinated with the supernatural. I love one of my favorite authors is Stephen King, who sold Mm -hmm. many, many, many books. I've got a lot of his first editions. And actually, I wrote a tribute 
to him last uh, Halloween. Uh, I do a Halloween month on my website because there's ghosts in my book. But uh, but I really put it aside because I was doing well as a lawyer. But, uh, you know, and honestly, when I went to law school, my hus- I told my husband, I, I want to be a, I want to be a writer. And he said, go to law school, become a lawyer. And if you still want to be a writer, then <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> So, so that was always there. And, you know, over 10 years ago, I wrote in a, in a journal that, you know, that I want to be a writer, it's lacking in my life, but I, uh, I was doing well as an attorney. I was a very good attorney. I worked as a prosecutor and uh, I'm a litigator, very stressful uh, type of lawyer. You, you know, you can be a contract attorney where you just do documents for uh, business deals and, and you don't go into court. I was in court every day with stacks of files. It was very stressful, but I was good at it and I loved, and I loved that part of it. But I, I was the best thing I was at, the, the thing I was the best at was the writing of briefs. The mm-hmm. researching of case law, the creative putting together of facts. So it was always just kind of hanging out there. Finally, I went to, I did a mastermind, um, a book that uh, where you look at your goals, you narrow them all down, you look at different areas of your life. And and I had ton, lots of goals. And, and all this time I had been traveling because now I was making a good living and I started traveling to France and Italy and I fell in love with Venice mm-hmm. immediately. The first time I walked into Venice and and uh, so I did this mastermind and I narrowed it down and sure enough number one came up I want to write a novel and I decided right then that that's it it's time to do it and I started the journey and everyone said write about Venice we want to hear about your Venice trips so it was pretty easy to decide what I was going to write about the only thing was that I knew nothing about the craft of the novel Mm-hmm. Honestly, I said, "What? There's a craft. There's a craft." Here, mm-hmm. I was an English major. I studied writing in in both college and in law school. I taught writing to lawyers, and, and I didn't know how to write a novel. There's a very uh, specific craft. There's genre specific rules. There's you know you can break the rules, of course, but you need to learn them first. Mm-hmm. So I started on that path. I, I started going to retreats. I started finding writers to train with while I was writing it, uh, while I was writing the book. And I knew, I knew immediately I wanted the ghost of Venice to be part of this book because I'd always been fascinated, like I said, with the supernatural. And, you know, and then at some point, the great creator just comes in and, and takes over, takes over what you're writing. All of a sudden, you write a chapter. And you're like, whoa, whoa, where did that character come from? Uh-huh. I never met that person before. <laughs> and sorry, was it parallel to your work? Or you, once you decided you're going to write a novel, you, you left the corporate career? Okay, that's a very good question. Thanks for that. Um, I was, all, like I said, always writing on the side. Always, So I had lots of stuff. I had poems that I wanted to incorporate. I had char- you know, certain characters already developed. And I also kept a not a not a daily journal when I traveled, but I had I had lots of uh, descriptions of Venice and France and different places that I'd been. So I had a lot of the the basic uh, stuff put together that I did on the side while I was still an attorney. What happened was that my husband got a job working as an international attorney for a corporation, and he was traveling a lot. And I was doing my job, and he was traveling, and I was never seeing him. And I just said, 
you know, this is crazy. I want to travel with him. So uh, I got went very part time as a lawyer. And when I finally decided I was uh, going to do the book, I I basically left law. I I you know I'm still a pre- I, I still a licensed attorney. I still occasionally go to court for people, uh, but I don't practice even really part time. I, I I pretty much concentrated on on the book at that point. Mm-hmm. And do you miss it or not? The being attorney and it comes and goes. I, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I have to tell you that writing this novel has been much more difficult than anything I ever did in court. It, it's been a lot of work. It's been a lot of frustration with uh, no pay, obviously, mm-hmm. and spending a lot of money to train at it. And you know, my law degree and my legal training has become has become part of what I needed to use in this book because the lead character is an attorney. She started off as a law student, mm-hmm. and I didn't think that was exciting enough for her, so I changed her to a lawyer. But uh, so yeah, so sometimes I think, wow, wouldn't it be great to just go to a job and get a paycheck <laughs> and and. And have people actually see the work you're doing. I mean, I think people just think I just hang out all day, and yeah. I probably work harder. You know, there were some. You know, there were some days my husband would leave for work at 6 a.m. and I would be sitting at my computer, and he would come back, and I would still be sitting at the computer. <laughs> That's including his commute. That's what people think that, <laughs> that we just drink coffee all day and have fun and do nothing, and then the books uh, you right. know, appear out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so right. you mentioned different trainings. Can you tell a bit about uh, why did you decide uh, to be trained by best-selling writers? How did you chose uh, who should? To train you and you know how did you approach them you know what was the process okay uh, first of all I would tell I, I would recommend to everyone to do this uh, I went to writing retreats I, I researched places where I could go and have time with other writers to just focus on my writing and one of the people that I that comes to Colorado quite regularly, Susan Peaver, is actually most of the writers I trained with were nonfiction writers. Um, they're usually the ones that do these retreats. There's not a lot of fiction writing retreats to find out there. So I didn't know this at the time. I knew nothing. So I just said, okay, I'm going to go to this. First one I went to was um, a meditation and writing retreat up uh, in Colorado here. And I had been, that had been on my radar for as long as I can remember. This This is the thing that I found is that it's a combination of analyzing and thinking and researching about what your journey will be and just being led, that it's just part of your calling and you will be led to these people. And that was like that's a perfect example because I always knew I wanted to go do that, that training up there. It just so happened she's written seven books, one of them. Uh, was a New York Times bestseller, at least one of them was. Mm -hmm. And um, what we did there was we we meditated and then we wrote. And what we did was we incorporated meditation into the process to alleviate fears and block the left brain from 
well, you block the left brain from blocking you, basically, because mm-hmm. your left brain, your logical brain, which being an attorney, I was clearly trained in that area, um, will tell you, will analyze every sentence before you put it on the paper. Mm-hmm. So this meditation uh, helped to just be able to get the juices flowing, number one, and to do it without fear, to not judge it as it was coming out. And then we also read read pieces at the end of the day. And from that point on, I made that a part of my writing path. I, I got a writing partner. We met every week on the phone and we read to each other. One thing that does is it forces you to have to have something prepared to read to that person. So mm-hmm. even if it's the night before or the morning before the call, you'll come up with your 1,500 words or your 1,000 words. So that they will critique there as a reader they will say you know i wonder what she was thinking in this scene you know it might be from the other person it might be from like the male character's perspective but and and when you're trained as a writer you're taught don't switch perspectives stick with your character who's who's thinking in that in that chapter or in that scene but a reader will feel uh cheated by that sometimes and they will say like I want to know what she's thinking that's a pretty big thing he just said Mm -hmm. so you know things like that but also the actual reading out loud yourself you just immediately hear something "Mm, that didn't sound right or wow that was a really lovely passage sound it's just amazing what reading out loud can do for the writing process so those two things of learning to read out loud at that retreat and um, and using meditation to calm the left side of the brain, the analytical side of the brain, so the creative side could emerge were very important things I learned at that one retreat. So, And then I studied with several others. I just continued to do that because I accomplished so, so much at retreats every time that uh, I, I would, I'm still, I, you know, even though I'm publishing these, these three books in the next few months, I'll, I'll publish the next two. Uh, I'm still going to go to retreats. I, I'm planning to go to one in March. They're asking me to speak at it, to talk about my journey like I'm doing with you, which is another wonderful thing. But I will, I will always go to retreats and, and retreats I've been to, there have been published writers there as well. So it's not just for people who are starting off. It's a very good thing to add into your, uh, your path as a writer. I think for me, some people don't like them. I I, I enjoy them. Uh huh. I see. So these retreats uh, most probably also gave you the new perspective at looking at writing, since you've been writing by yourself and you know you had your own approaches. Now you could see different things, uh, how, how uh, others are doing it, and you know, uh, switching off the left part is is something not everyone manages to do. So it's 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 one of the best techniques I think that will help you further on in in writing any books from now on i guess right i yeah exactly and and another thing you asked uh you were wondering about the market you know what else i i did more than just writing in my trainings i did find people who robert allen is one of them robert g allen he sold he's his book on real estate is the largest selling book to date in uh, how to how to purchase and sell real estate, how to make money selling real estate, he wrote a book a long time ago called um, "Nothing Down," mm-hmm. and he wrote about how he was able to purchase real estate with no money down and create 
quite a fortune doing it. And I, I always loved real estate. That's another passion of mine. I, I have purchased, I have made real estate investments that have made me actually more money than sometimes than law. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I knew about him and I, I, I admired him. And he's the one that steered me on the path of independent publishing. And, uh, and then I researched it and I started to learn about different, and, and he had an agent who I had access to and, and, you know, but he really said, you know, the, the wave of the future is independent publishing with the royalties, uh, the, that you get as an independent publisher with the control that you have, uh, you can get your book out in a more timely manner, uh, it's a lot more work. Believe me, it's not for everyone. It, you you have to do it all yourself, really, mm-hmm. or find people to do it for you. But then you're the you're the ultimate per- you're the publisher, really, because you have to make sure all the proofs come out correct. And you know, since I started it, I found a a lot of books have mistakes in them. Even in the third edition, we're talking bestsellers have mistakes. I'm a pretty precise editor so I'm always finding them um so it's a lot of work to do it but he was really uh he really encouraged me in that area and I learned a lot about marketing promotion from him uh, which is very important in any no matter if you're going to go traditional publishing or uh indie publishing you're the promoter not Mm -hmm. they you know once until you're an established number one we're not even talking on the list you pretty much have to be a number one New York Times bestseller for them to put money into advertising your book. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to do it on your own. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad I learned that. That was very important. Uh, many writers, I went to the book expo uh, and spoke with a lot of writers there and, and they all, they hate the marketing part. <laughs> they just want to write the books and hope, hope for the best. I'm lucky I actually enjoy it. Probably, again, the left brain, the lawyer in me, the analytical side enjoys that part. But it it does add a lot more hours to your day to have to do that, too. So so you just, you know, you just try to take it easy if you Mm can. Okay, so you have, that's what I wanted to say, that you have this uh, perfect uh, balance of having, uh, you know, the experience in, in left-sided uh, life, let's say, and and the creative one, so you can balance them out and, you know, switch on your left brain while marketing and switch it off while writing, which is like the perfect combination, I guess. You would think so, but sometimes they fight with each other. They're like two cats that live in the same house. <laughs> sometimes they get along and they balance, and sometimes you, 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 it's like schizophrenia. You don't know which, you know, you're marketing, 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 and your book is saying, hey, you're neglecting me over here. <laughs> so, yeah, it's an interesting dance. <laughs> so you, um, you wrote um, the three books, and you're launching them with one, pretty much one after the other? Yes, that's correct. Um, the overriding mystery that, well, there's several mysteries I, I didn't realize till after I wrote them. One, the big mystery is that the, uh, who, killed, who killed the two glassmakers that were found drowned, they say were drowned, and they, they found their bodies. That's the ultimate mystery that we hope will be resolved by the end of book three. As then there's another mystery that is, who is the ghost that's talking in the books? Who is that, that mm-hmm. uh, character? So that 
Um, then there are, you know, the love relationships that take place. Uh, so there's, it's multi-layered in that regard. And, uh, and then there's also a question of whether there isn't a greater conspiracy taking place be- behind uh, these two, mur- the, if they are murders and not accidental deaths, if they actually were murdered, the two glass makers, was there, is there a greater conspiracy going on that's threatening the town? Uh-huh. And uh, so there's, so there's quite a, and so that is wrapped up at the end of book three, uh, the, the mysteries, you do find out who is the ghost, at least, the very least. You find that out. I don't want to give too much away. Um, and uh, But there are uh, various clues that are planted throughout by either other Venetians in the town or the ghost. That's another mystery, whether it's the ghost or whether it's just people in town trying to orchestrate this because they're afraid themselves to come forward. Um and so each book contains a series of clues that are pursued and, of course, the romance that they're being pursued and pursuing because it's Venice, after all, the most romantic city in the world. Okay, <laughs> There's so, lots of romance. <laughs> <laughs> so you have, uh, let's say, um, a mix of different genres in your novel, as I see. Yeah. I mean, you have mystery. You have- yes, yes. It, it's it's a romantic mystery, which has now become a genre, actually. And now paranormal. Some people would call it paranormal romance because you have the paranormal elements in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a question of some of the men that are in it: are they are they real? Are they ghosts or are they just Venetians? Mm-hmm. So I guess it does qualify as a paranormal romance as well. Uh, obviously, it's contemporary. It's set in contemporary times, so it's contemporary women's fiction. Um, I'm fine that when I read that most books don't set so perfectly into one genre. They overlap uh, in that way. You know, a thriller like John John Grisham. Mm-hmm. who's another lawyer, writes thrillers, but his have become like a genre of them own legal fiction, legal thrillers. And yeah. I'm not even sure they're thrillers. They're not even really that suspenseful, but yet they're called suspense. So so I think that genres are blurring more and more, as especially as people start to publish independently. Mm-hmm. They're able to not have their books pigeoned. When you're online, you have a broader reach than when you're in a bookstore and they have to put your book in one section. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. So uh, once you had your three books written already, what did you do next? Uh, how did you plan your launch? Well, I had all, I, at first I had to decide that it, w- it would be a serial novel. And I was, I was uh, instead of just one big gigantic book. And I realized that like there, it's very dense, like Venice, You know, when you go into Venice, you go down different streets and there's so much to see in one thing. There's that it it made more sense to do it this way. It is also becoming a very popular uh, way. Readers love it. Readers love to have cliffhangers and wait for the next. I'm not the first to do it. Stephen King did it with the Green Mile and 
and and it's you know so I, I knew it was a popular way to do it and uh, so I decided to do that even though I had most of all three books finished I had the first one finished the second one of course I'm doing the hundred and fifty thousandth edit it feels like <laughs> and it will be to the publisher this week and then the third one I may or may not add some some chapters to I haven't decided yet there's some things I wanted to do some scenes I wanted to do in the book that I decided really may or may not be necessary and I could save them for the next uh mystery which I already have decided what I'm going to do on that after these three are finished but um so I don't know about that I might still so I don't know if that one's finished yet Mm -hmm. we'll wait till I get there so I so I so I launched this one um and and that just was uh, released July 22nd. Um, because there are cliffhangers and there's unresolved mysteries at the end of this book, I really wanted them to follow pretty closely after one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you could you could do it anywhere from well, some people are doing serial novels that are basically two chapters they're releasing. Now, this is a 12 chapter book or a 10. I mean, it's a, it's it's about the length of The Great Gatsby. Mm-hmm. Which is the you know the great American novel, the great mm-hmm. Gatsby. So it's a full novel. It's just that. Uh, so I didn't want it to be too close in time because it wasn't. I wasn't just releasing chapters like people sometimes do. Uh, but I didn't want it to be too far apart because people are waiting. They want to know the answers mm-hmm. that are left at the end of the first book. So that was another decision I had to make. And, you know, this meditation, I highly recommend it because you get answers that come from all over. Yeah, I don't know where they come from. Sometimes from within. Sometimes it's something you heard months ago. And um, four to six weeks was the answer I got. Somewhere between four to six weeks, the next book will be released after this one. So uh, so that's how I've been doing it. Another thing is that as soon as you release a book, you have to start planning your promotion. I'm going to be doing a blog tour starting August 11th. That will be on 15 to 20 blogs. There will be blogs that I've written. There will be book interviews. There will be book reviews. And... Um, so to do that at the same time of proofing the second novel oh. <laughs> is time intensive to say the least. Also, my website blew up right before the launch of this book. So I had to create a new web. One of my websites had to be recreated. So things just happen. And, and if you're centered, you say, okay, that's part of the path. I guess the next book is supposed to be six weeks. I decided four to six weeks, so now it's going to be six weeks because mm-hmm. all these other things happened with book one. So that's, you have to give and take on this because you could really make yourself crazy. And I have, I've had moments where I've, when that, but when that happened with my website, I did, it wasn't a pretty few days. I was very, very emotional. And then I just said, I guess this means that my website needs a new face. I finally got to that point after a few days, but, uh, you know, it's like life. I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. have children, but some people say it's like having a baby. <laughs> having a baby. Uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. And uh, do you have, are there any people who help you with the marketing or the website or you're doing absolutely everything by yourself or, uh, you know, you get some support somewhere? Okay, great. Another great question. Um I had a team, I had a, a graphic designer that 
also, I don't know if you know, but I have a YouTube channel that is uh, um, Venice, Secret Venice uh, videos. Uh-huh. And she helped me edit. Uh, there's a, there's a, an opening and a closing that's the same in every video where it's like the gondoliers and some beautiful like accordion music. And then I speak all unscripted one to three minutes. I took these all in Ven- Venice. Some I took in different parts of Italy, but they're mostly Venice. And so I had her to help me with that. And and that I worked on as I was writing the book, because, again, my training that I got from these writers was you have to start doing that now. Mm-hmm. And people that don't write book, people were like, well, shouldn't you be spending your time writing the book and finishing the book faster instead of working on this other stuff? And I said, yeah, wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice to just be able to focus on one thing? But that's not what I was trained to do. They And I'm really glad that I listened to them because now I don't have to start from scratch. I've already built a YouTube channel that's got half a million views. Uh-huh. One, one video has over 200,000 views. So uh, I've got people that, have called, that write me and ask me questions about Italy. How did how do they find the pizzeria that's in one of the videos or something? So I had help with that. Um, she just had a baby, so she couldn't help me with with the website that blew up. But I had taken a course in how to build a WordPress site, so I just revamped it myself and had a virtual assistant help me a little bit with that. So I have and I have I have a team that helped me with the cover a design team formatted the, this book but you know still I had to do all the proofing mm-hmm. I had to do anytime I made a change I had to put them in I had to manually put them in and, and send them to them and then they format so there you know some people do all that on their own I, I paid someone to do a lot of this stuff. There's people that do all that on their own because they can't afford to pay it, pay mm-hmm. for it. Yeah. So uh, it just takes a little longer that way, and and uh, and you know you're learning how to do new stuff. I didn't know how to do a video. I begrudgingly bought a video camera. I didn't want to do videos, but all of my marketing training told me you could do video. You should do video. So I was in Venice thinking I was going to finish the book and I was completely blocked. I was having, I got sick because it was cold and it was during carnival and it was the coldest winter they've had in like 20 years. The the lagoon actually froze that year. And I got the video camera out and I said, okay, I guess I'll start taking videos. And I found that I really liked doing it. Uh So you never know what's going to (laughs) happen. When you start the journey. Yeah, well, opportunities are everywhere. (laughs) You just have to notice them Mm -hmm. and and jump on. Okay, so what are your, uh, what are you hoping for with your books? I mean, now they are coming out one after the other. You're working on the marketing, you're having the blog tour. And uh, what are you expecting from these three books? Well, I did, like I said, I trained mostly with nonfiction writers. And in nonfiction writing, you're able to actually create a book proposal with marketing and chapters and send it to an agent 
agent and a publisher and get a book deal before the book is even published. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't happen very often with fiction. You have to have the entire book done. So, uh, But I did create a book proposal, and that outlines a very extensive marketing plan. Uh, launches, for example, something I would love to do in the f- future is go to at least the Las Vegas Venetian Hotel and do some type of promotion there mm-hmm. at the Venetian. In the Venetian, it, um, I'm going to Venice in August. It's very, oh, very easy to promote a book about Venice in Venice when you meet English-speaking people. You, you can pass out your cards and talk to them. And I, I've got a lot of – I made a lot of friends doing that over the, ne- over the last few years, just telling them I'm going to write a book. So – Right now, I'm focusing on that market base that I've already started. People that I know that are already interested in Venice, they're waiting for the book to come out. Um, People retweet my videos. Those people will be – I haven't done it yet because this is all a lot of work, obviously. Um, I'm going to contact those people that have said, let us know when your book is out or we really love your videos. I'm going to – get in touch with them. So uh, a lot of like individual mass marketing, which Mm -hmm. I think is important. I think, you know, online marketing can be very impersonal. And so I'm doing actual personal emails to people because they've been telling me, we can't wait till your book comes out. We want to read your book. Um, now, that may be a small amount of people. I mean, maybe I'll sell hundreds of books, which is great. A lot of people sell less than 50 when they publish online, you know, and I've already sold quite a few just in the first week. But um, but those people know people. Mm-hmm. And you just don't know where a seed that's planted will go. And the main important thing I think that every author should remember is that you're doing this out of love. You're doing this because you love your to write. Although it can be difficult at times and you hate it. I always say my, my favorite line is, I love it when I don't hate it. Because it can be very difficult and lo- you know lonely. Um, you're doing it out of love for your topic. I love Venice. And I, uh, I grew to love the characters. And you just want to share your experience of uh, some wonderful e- event in your life. If you're a nonfiction writer and you're an expert on something, you, you're training people on that area. And mine was, I, I love this city of Venice, Italy, and I love Italy, and I want to share that with people. So you have to always kind of come back to that and and hope that it comes through in your marketing, that, mm-hmm. you know, the book will be good enough and the buzz will, be, buzz will start. Mm-hmm. What I heard recently was, you know, the, the first one to 10 miles, whether or the, maybe the first, you know, when you're in a car or a bicycle, are the hardest ones they're yeah. the ones that are getting the momentum going but once the momentum is going you keep the momentum up you see where that goes so lots of ideas for 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 launch and for for marketing and then uh but also also trying to keep coming back to the heart center of it of is your love for your your topic and your characters and what you're doing. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, what would be your, adv- um, this is the last question, I won't torture you anymore. So what will be your... Uh, adv- oh, okay. <laughs> 
your advice to uh, the ones who are just starting this journey? What would you advise them? Uh, first of all, get the first 500 words written. I, I have a lot of people that come to me and say, oh, I want to write a book. I see what you're doing. I have ideas. I have stories. My life was crazy. I want to write about it. And I tell them, write 500 words. And they, oh, they don't know what to do. I said, well, write down the characters, do a character study of whoever, you know, and I got to tell you nine times out of 10, I never hear from them again. Mm-hmm. Because that, that, like I said, that beginning, that momentum. So get something down on paper, anything, even if it's just a two page outline, or even if it's just, here's four characters. And then once you start to do that, I, there's a wonderful book that I recommend to everyone uh, by Stephen King on writing. It's one of the best books ever written about writing. And what he says is you go in, he goes, he calls the going in the basement to wait for the muse. I mean, I'm paraphrasing him, but, mm-hmm. and you, the room, your, your desk should never be in the middle of the world, in the middle of the room. Now, a lot of people like to go to coffee shops to write so they can get out of their environment. That's fine as long as there's nobody there that's, that you know that's going to come in and disturb you. But, but his theory is going to a room and the room has to have a door on it and the door has to be shut. And you sit in there and you write every day a thousand words. You make your, your, your you know, however many words you're going to say you're going to write every day, a thousand, two thousand. And you you don't get out of there until you've got those words. And I found that I get stuck at about maybe if you're a runner, you know, like I get tired at about two miles when I'm trying to do a five mile run. You know, it's sort of like that. It's like mm-hmm. at about 800 words. First of all, the, the first sentence is ridiculous. You could sit there for 20 minutes and not get the first sentence out. You know, that, that's always the hardest. But then you get to about 800 and you're like, okay, I'm ready for my coffee. I'm ready to stop. And it's like, no, I'm going to go to 1500. And the next thing you know, you have 2,500 words. Mm -hmm. So that's the second advice. So first get the first words down, sit every day. And then I would get, I would get a coach, even if it's just another writer that you uh, call every week and that you read to, uh, because it's very important. Again, it's another type of accountability because we have no accountability as writers unless we have a book contract. Okay, well, thank you so much, Diana, for sharing your story and sharing your tips and your journey with my listeners. I really appreciate you spending this this time with us. Uh, I wish you lots of success with your books and I want to see them in the bestsellers list. Sounds good. And and one more thing I want to add is that I do really love working with writers. So I, I love it. And maybe that's really my calling. I don't know yet. So contact me at www.dianacacci.com or www.whathappensinvenice.com. Just leave a comment and say, Diana, I'd like you to help me uh, with my writing. And I'm I'm happy to do it if I have time. And I might be creating my own retreats in the future. So it's great what you're doing here. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye. Ciao. Well, I think Diana's case was a perfect example that if you are dreaming to become a writer, no matter what kind of corporate career you have, no matter how successful it is, there is still a way to turn things around, to change your life and pursue your dream. Well, to discuss that and many other things, please come over and become part of the closed Facebook group at www.facebook.com slash groups slash write to be read to as a number and 
be as a letter. Also, I've created a new page which illustrates what I can do for you and how can I help you. So please check it out at www.annealexander.com slash get help. I really hope that you enjoyed the interview, that the podcast is really useful and it provides value to you and your writing i wish you success in everything you write take care go and write that awesome book of yours and get back to me for the next episode <laughs>